Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs, containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes. Capella University is rethinking higher education. With their game-changing FlexPath format, you can earn your degree on your schedule so you can fit education seamlessly into your life. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Welcome to True Crime Garage. Wherever you are, whatever you are doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and right next to me is a man that believes Thanksgiving is just an elaborate conspiracy to sell lots of turkey. He is the king of the cover-ups, Mr. Coast to Coast, the captain. <laughs> it's good to be seen, and it's good to see you. Happy Thanksgiving to you, Captain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a glorified Thursday. But hey... There'll be football. There will be football. Lots of football, lots of food, and of course, some drinks. So happy Thanksgiving to everybody out there. Speaking of drinks. This week, Captain, we are drinking Mr. President by Brewdog. El Presidente. That's right. Garage grade four out of five bottle caps. Mm -hmm. Say hello to the president-elect of double IPAs. Hello. This beer is a superpower flexing its hoppy muscles. Mr. President is a delicious double IPA that is full on and full tilt flavor and is brought to us by some of our wonderful garage guys and girls out there. First up, we have Juanita in Newfoundland, Canada, as well as Christine in Calgary, Canada. Lots of Canada Mm. today. There's also Adria in Seattle, Washington, who says much love to the captain and Nick, but she says she's sending extra love to the captain so it sounds like you have an admirer all right also love for me we have jessica in twin falls idaho let's go down south and give a shout out to shout out to nicole and raleigh north carolina all right next we have robert from denver colorado robert says nick keep your head up your browns will be good again Yeah, Robert, I'm not so sure about that. I'm uh, I'm now rooting for the Raiders. I got I got the silver and black. You on. know what I was thinking? True Crime Garage, we're like the Cleveland Browns of True Crime podcast, pa, you know. Pa, pa, set, setting the bar low. One day we're going to we're going to be great one day. Setting the bar low and lowering it week after week. So, and last but not least, we have Ian in Cambridgeshire, United Kingdom. 
Uh, I love the UK because you notice that all the town names seem to sound like something out of the Lord of the Rings. Mm -hmm. So a big thanks to everybody to, that helped make our week a little more great by kicking it up for the beer fund. And if you want to buy us around for next, next week's show. For next week. For next, for next, next show, week's show. <laughs> go to truecrimegarage.com and click on the donate button. Buy us some beer. And, yeah, yeah. and we'll just keep putting out shows. That's how it works. It's simple. You know, like. Like the guy on the side of the road that has the sign that says, we'll work for food. Uh -huh. Well, we got a sign that says, we'll work for beer. We will podcast for beer. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So I guess this year I'm very thankful for uh, people listening to the show. I'm thankful for the I'm, garage. So while you're listening to this, right, I'm thankful for you. For you. That's right. Treat yourself to a nice glass of wine. Or Treat yourself, fool. Big mug of beer on Thanksgiving and have a safe and happy holiday. Yeah, thank you so much. And as always, we like your jam. For everything True Crime Garage, go to truecrimegarage.com. And while you're there, make sure you sign up on the mailing list. And that's enough of the business. That's right. Gather around, grab a chair, and grab a beer. Let's grab a turkey. Some, let's talk some true crime. <laughs> I hope somebody has their leftover turkeys and they're making their nice turkey sandwich with the mayonnaise, you know, all that all right, Anyways. turkey grabber. Let's, All right. <laughs> let's talk some true crime. Get in the garage. Ladies and gentlemen, the very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. And we are, as a people, inherently and historically opposed to secret societies, to secret oaths, and to secret proceedings. We decided long ago that the dangers of excessive and unwarranted concealment of pertinent facts far outweighed the dangers which are cited to justify it. Even today, there is little value in opposing the threat of a closed society by imitating its arbitrary restrictions. Even today, there is little value in ensuring the survival of our nation if our traditions do not survive with it. And there is very grave danger that an announced need for increased security will be seized upon by those anxious to expand its meaning to the very limits of official censorship and concealment. That I do not intend to permit to the extent that it's in my control. And no official of my administration, whether his rank is high or low, civilian or military, should interpret my words here tonight as an excuse to censor the news, to stifle dissent, to cover up our mistakes, or to withhold from the press and the public the facts they deserve to know. For we are opposed around the world by a monolithic and ruthless conspiracy that relies primarily on covet means for expanding its sphere of influence, on infiltration instead of invasion, on subversion instead of elections, on intimidation instead of free choice, on guerrillas by night instead of armies by day. It is a system which has conscripted vast human and material resources into the building of a tightly knit highly efficient machine that combines military, diplomatic, intelligence, economic, scientific, 
and political operations. Its preparations are concealed, not published. Its mistakes are buried, not headlined. Its dissenters are silenced, not praised. No expenditure is questioned, no rumor is printed, no secret is revealed. No president should fear public scrutiny of his program. For from that scrutiny comes understanding, and from that understanding comes support or opposition, and both are necessary. I am not asking your newspapers to support an administration, but I am asking your help in the tremendous task of informing and alerting the American people. For I have complete confidence in the response and dedication of our citizens whenever they are fully informed. I not only could not stifle controversy among your readers, I welcome it. This administration intends to be candid about its errors. For as a wise man once said, an error doesn't become a mistake until you refuse to correct it. We intend to accept full responsibility for our errors, and we expect you to point them out when we miss them. Without debate, without criticism, no administration and no country can succeed, and no republic can survive. That is why the Athenian lawmaker Sola decreed it a crime for any citizen to shrink from controversy. And that is why our press was protected by the First Amendment, the only business in America specifically protected by the Constitution, not primarily to amuse and entertain, not to emphasize the trivial and the sentimental, not to simply give the public what it wants, but to inform, to arouse, to reflect, to state our dangers and our opportunities, to indicate our crises and our choices, to lead, mold, educate, and sometimes even anger public opinion. This means greater coverage and analysis of international news, for it is no longer far away and foreign, but close at hand and local. It means greater attention to improved understanding of the news, as well as improved transmission. And it means, finally, that government at all levels must meet its obligation to provide you with the fullest possible information outside the narrowest limits of national security. And so it is to the printing press, to the recorder of man's deeds, the keeper of his conscience, the courier of his news, that we look for strength and assistance, confident that with your help, man will be what he was born to be, free and independent. This week marks the 53rd anniversary of the assassination of our 35th president, John Fitzgerald Kennedy. He was shot and murdered in Dallas, Texas at the young age of 46. Now, we're not here to talk about that today, but Mm -hmm. I'm sure we're going to end up talking about it at some point. Yeah, at some point, but we're going to have to spend like half a year talking about that. Well, it's this time of year, and it happens every year, where mm-hmm. you start seeing, you know, on A&E and uh, all the, the, the documentary-style channels that we start seeing things coming out. Oh, new information about the JFK assassination, and oh, this has been uncovered, and now we're going to show you uh, a different documentary that's actually the same one you watched last year. We just 
changed it a little bit. Uh, So we have this every year in the uh, late November, just before Thanksgiving, where we are reminded of uh, what took place in Dallas, Texas, back in the uh, 60s. And 63. We're reminded year after year after year. Um, And this has been a, a huge topic of much debate ever since that day in Dallas, Texas. Um, but today we are here to talk about Mary Pinchot Meyer. Mary Pinchot was born October 14th, 1920 in New York City, New York. Uh, she attended and graduated Vassar College. She went on to meet Cord Meyer Jr. in 1944. Cord had served in the United States Marine Corps during World War II. Mm-hmm. And he was a bit of a war hero. But as a young man, he seemed to be more of a peace lover of someone that didn't really believe in war. And it seems that maybe the Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor had changed him. And that is when he decided to sign up for the Marines. He fought in the Pacific war and he saw plenty of action. He was wounded in war, uh, losing his left eye due to a grenade attack. Uh, for this cord was awarded the bronze star and a purple heart. Cord and Mary were married in April of 1945 and they would have three children, all boys. After the war, Cord began a career in writing, and he was writing for the Atlantic Monthly, and he penned a couple of books as well, even winning an award for his efforts. Well, this war, um, World War II, was different than a lot of the wars that we're involved in now, and you know we stayed out of the war for so long, um, and it it was you know we, we were united as a country for the you know the majority of people really understood why we're fighting World War II. Well, and this is why they went on to become the greatest generation. You don't think like maybe the millennials will be better? Uh, <laughs> than them? No. no. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe. Hopefully, yes. I mean, if this was the greatest generation, ideally you want our country to keep getting better and people as a whole to get better. So, mm-hmm. you know, let's let's uh, step it up a little bit, people. Um, but uh, going back to this the story here, so while he's while he's working as an author, and he would eventually apply for a position with the Central Intelligence Ag- Agency, the CIA. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, Cord is he's an ideal candidate back then in the fifties for a position in the CIA. Right, he's a decorated war hero. He's very smart. He's an Ivy Leaguer. Um, he's the kind of people that they wanted to fill their offices with and fill these positions with. Uh, Cord, of course, gets the job, and the Myers pick up and they move to Washington, D.C. Well, you're making it sound a little simpler than it was. I mean, okay. yeah, he applied for this position, but there's no... I mean, He essentially was working for the CIA for an uh, amount of time. Um, they don't know how how long. Yeah, like, there, so there was, there's some discrepancy on when he actually officially started working for the CIA. Yeah, so it's not as simple as, well, this guy applied for the CIA, and then therefore now he's working for the CIA. No, at some point he was working for the CIA, and then at some point the CIA made that official. Well, as with the CIA, wouldn't you? I mean, I fully believe that they fully disclose everything, right? There's no, there's no <laughs> yeah. mystery there, so... Yeah, of course, we don't know exactly when he started, but they when he officially started, they moved to Washington, D.C., and they are now, the Myers are living near a very busy road. And in 1954, the family dog 
was crossing this busy street and was struck and killed by a car. Now, the strange foreshadowing here is that just two years later, in 1956, the same would be the fate of Cord and Mary's middle son, nine-year-old Michael. Michael was returning home with his older brother. This was late in the year, uh, December 18th in 1956. Now, this is the time of the year when, you know, it's very dark. It gets very dark early. And this was a busy street, and it was not well lit. Most likely, the driver never saw the young boy racing across the street. Uh, Little Michael was killed pretty much instantly. Now, Mary was notified by her her eldest son, uh, who, and then she she runs to the scene of the accident. And this kind of shows me what kind of person Mary was. Mary gets to the scene. And while she's there, she comforts the driver of the vehicle that hit her boy. Mm-hmm. Well, this is, it's interesting too, because um, one, a lot of people would say, well, man, there's conspiracy already happening, right? We got a, we have a CIA official son, you know, hit by, uh, by a car and dies and would show some evidence of, oh, well, maybe this is a conspiracy, right? Mm-hmm. But there doesn't look that way. You see what I'm saying? No this this appears to be completely an accident. Um, and and you know as we said, it's not something that um, when I say the word accident, I don't say that lightly because we saw just two years before the the dog is hit on the same street, roughly mm-hmm. about the same time of year. So there, this is a street where maybe the only conspiracy is why isn't there street lights? Uh huh. Well, I mean, it's also the fifties, right? So, I mean, it's a different time. They didn't have streetlights on every street. But I think this is very telling of who Mary Pinchot Meyer was. Um, you know, when I, I had heard about this case many years ago, but didn't really, you know, sometimes when you hear about these cases or, or read something on something and you don't really dive into it, it's hard to identify with the, the people as people. And, you know, once I got to dive into this case, I got to see really who she was, Mm -hmm. you know, and she was a very, she was very smart, charismatic and an affectionate person as well. Um, she was an, she was an artist and she was a socialite, very, very involved in the, um, uh, the different social circles of the time and very up to date on her, uh, ideals and beliefs, um, about where the world was heading and, and what direction our, uh, government in our country should be heading. Well, she was a lady, you know, uh, before her time, you know, she was, she you're was, exactly right. You know, she was, uh, you know, not the typical, a lot of, look, a lot of, um, they, they talk about this a lot in, in the fifties, you know, women after high school, or if they did go to college, which a lot of them wouldn't go, but they would get a job, but that job was just a placeholder until they found a man and then they got married and then they would stay at home and raise their kids. That was the norm. Mm -hmm. This was not the norm for uh, Mary at all. You know, she, she would get a job that she would dive into and make it into a career uh, going from a bunch of different facets in her life. Now there was some trouble going on in the marriage, even before (laughs) the death of their son. Um, And there was, you know, we can, 
I don't know how much you want to get into rumors, but it it sounds like when they first got married, when they first when Cord and Mary first met one another, that they probably shared a lot of the same ideals and a, mm-hmm. and a lot of the same thoughts on things we just mentioned about the direction of the world and and where our government and our our nation should be helping to lead in that direction. Mm-hmm. Um, she was a big uh, peace lover um, and had no problem expressing that with, with most. Now I said there were some trouble in the marriage and um, it seems like that Cord, once he, he had been working for the CIA for a while, he became, I don't know how much of a drinker he was beforehand, but, but the stuff that I've been reading is saying that, that he was kind of changing a bit, yeah. uh, that, that he was drinking more and more. And of course the death of the child did not help this situation at all. No, no. Um, before any of yeah, because the, the percentage of people that can stay together after a loss of a child is is very low, mm-hmm. and uh, rightfully so, right? Yeah. But yeah, so now you have this guy, you know, the death of his son. Um, but that's probably weighing on her too. But now he's in the CIA, and now what is he learning in the CIA, and how much is that affecting you know his um, mental makeup? And he had been involved in uh, something called Operation Mockingbird. Uh-huh. Um, now, it's unclear to me whether he was kind of the... Um, the speculation is that he was the he was the head of it. He spearheaded know? this thing. Mm-hmm. Like, we see the work that you're doing. You're doing a good job. And therefore, we want you to uh, spearhead this operation. Yeah, and he had a bit of notoriety for being in charge of this operation or spearheading. Okay, so let's talk about what... Operation, Operation Mo- Mockingbird. Yeah, because yeah, because I mean, it doesn't matter. Hey, he spearheaded this. Well, nobody cares unless there's some, you know, some. Uh, it's this is a weird operation. Yeah. So but here's the gist of it, right? Okay. So from my understanding, that what the CIA was doing was they were getting in the pockets of people that were working in different areas for different newspapers, and this way, when a story would come about they might have an opportunity to skew it uh, mm-hmm. in the direction that they would like, uh, especially if they wanted something to put the CIA into a good light or, or have a good ring about it, so to say. Um, and this may have even carried over to, uh, to radio and eventually TV as well, I'm assuming. Uh, one doesn't really know, one being me, the extent of this operation and how far it carried. Um, I wonder, you know, you definitely know it was happening in Washington, D.C. And it was probably happening in other major areas, that being New York, Chicago, L.A., things of that nature. All right, so but let's let's make this clear, okay? So one of the big conspiracies that people talk about these days mm-hmm. is this whole Illuminati, right? People talk about the Illuminati. And one of one of the things that people talk mostly about the Illuminati is that they are controlling media, and that they will also control arts and things of that nature. And the overall idea uh, is that if we put out all this dumb garbage, that you'll be so consumed with dumb garbage, and we're not putting out this idea that you need to be a thinker, that you need to dive into things, you need to be an intellect. You need to care what's going on. And therefore, if you don't really give a shit what's going on and you're just stuck on your phone all day, that the government can do whatever the hell it wants to do. And then that and the other governments can do whatever the hell they want to do. 
And a lot of people will say, well, this idea is completely crazy, right? But now in the 50s, we have this operation called Operation Mockingbird. And here's what it was, you know, to simplest forms. It was a plan to influence domestic and foreign media. So to influence domestic and foreign media, whatever level that is. Um, but see, see how there's, you would have some weight to the, the conspiracy of today going all the way back to the fifties. Well, and the thing we got to point out here too, is this operation mockingbird was not, this is not a theory. This happened. This, right. this, this absolutely not, right. happened. We don't know the extent of it. Um, and you know, the conspiracy theorists can, can run with that as much as they like. But again, this, this did happen. This was taking place. Mm-hmm. And and you're exactly right. You know, it's it, it's the old thought that, you know, if you can control speech, you can control thought. And you know what? If we can if we can change these stories and manipulate them any way that we choose, well, guess what, Mr. Citizen? You don't have to do the thinking because we've already done the thinking for you. So just sit back and be entertained and enjoy the ride. Right. And we're going to control the narrative. The evidence keeps pouring in. At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. Everyone is still talking about Monopoly Go for a good reason. It is an absolute hit. Millions of people pass Go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table. Like countless crazy tournaments, you can join with your friends as partners or teams. Or timed events, offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. And there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums. Delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches. Unique playing pieces and so much more. The verdict is in. With Monopoly Go, there's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now free on the App Store and Google Play. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, I highly recommend that you give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com garage today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash garage. This show is proudly sponsored by BetterHelp. Check out BetterHelp.com slash garage today. Do you want to set your child up for success? Of course you do. That's why you need to check out IXL Learning today. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way. It's powered by advanced algorithms. IXL gives the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. There's one site for all kids in your home pre-K to 12th grade. Kids could use it at home on their computer 
or on an app on your phone or a tablet. No more grading those worksheets. IXL grades everything for you. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. I love recommending IXL learning. Kids can learn at home or on the go. And all my friends and family that are using it absolutely love it because it's so easy to set up and so easy to use. And even the kids that I've recommended it to their parents have told me, hey, Captain, thank you. I was having problems in math and my parents couldn't help me, but IXL could. Do you want to get your kids back on track or do you just want to get your kids ahead? Do so with IXL Learning. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And True Crime Garage listeners, get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com garage. Visit IXL.com garage to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Check out IXL.com garage today. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with factors, no prep, no mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factors' fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Make your day delicious from breakfast to dessert. Stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. I am new to Factor, and I have been loving every minute of it. I have a problem, and it's called lunch. Some days I need a pack of lunch, and some days I work from home. Whether I'm at home or whether I'm on the go, Factor is fueling my lunch from now on. Head to factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 and use code truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month. That's code truecrimegarage50 at factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Mm-hmm. Again, their marriage was having some issues beforehand. And mm-hmm. um, Mary had confided in Cord that she had gone outside of the marriage. Um, it's rumored that Cord had as well, but there's no hard evidence of that. Uh, but regardless, the death of his his son and this problem with their marriage did not help his his drinking at all. Right. And he, he b- basically became kind of a mean, bitter drunk. Um, and what would end up happening is that they would get a divorce in 1958. Cord believed that, you know, there's some, uh, journals that he kept and he had wrote in there that he thought that maybe the, the death of their son, this might reunite them, so to speak, that they, they might, you know, need to, to team up, uh, to get each other through this tragic event. 
Um, that ended up not being the case, just divorcing two years after the death of their son. But like, I, I mean, I want to put some emphasis on the idea that, you know, Mary was ahead of her time. She she wasn't going to be uh, uh, some lady, some female, just to get married and to be her husband's sidekick. She was not interested in that. Uh, it, at least that's what it looks like from the out, outsider's point of view. Now, it should be noted here that in 1954, the Kennedys, uh, John Fitzgerald and his wife uh, and one day first lady, Jackie Kennedy, they buy the house next door to the Myers. This is, again, in 1954, before the Myers divorced in 1958. Now, this is where we get into an issue of uh, of how big this story could be. I mean, it's a big story with lots of layers, right? Now, on the surface, it has been reported that Mary Pinchot Meyer and Jackie Kennedy were friends and that they even took walks together. Mm-hmm. It's possible. And maybe they took some walks together but the more I kept digging, it sounds to me like they were not friends. Maybe they were friendly to one another, but they were probably simply just acquaintances. Right. After Mary's divorce, Mary still had possession of the house for some time, and she rented the home to a young woman who was having an affair with Mr. John Kennedy. Uh, and it's hard to put an exact date on it. Wait, but okay, so they get a divorce. The, the Myers, right? Yeah. And she keeps the house that is next to JFK. And then she rents it out to a lady. Yeah. And a single lady. Mm-hmm. And we don't know who that lady is. Uh, I don't have the lady's name, but a little backstory on that is that the that Jack Kennedy had approached Mary and asked her if, if they could rent the home. Now this was going to be to somebody that would fill the role of some form of secretary. I don't know if she was a secretary to, uh, to John F. Kennedy, but I, I believe she may have been a secretary to Jackie actually. Okay. And now this young woman, much younger than, uh, Jack Kennedy at the time, uh, she, she was working for them in some capacity and she was also having an affair with him. Right. Um, so Mary was was aware of uh, the things going on in and out of the Kennedy marriage. There are plenty of rumors uh, on both sides. And when I say both sides, I mean Mary and her social circle, yeah. as well as JFK and his social circle, that, uh, that JFK was pursuing Mary. Well, it uh, seemed like JFK just sleep with everybody. Uh, yeah, actually, he is my father. <laughs> no, um, but he, so it, it's no allegedly, yeah, allegedly, uh, and I'm going to run for office next year. I mean, it, it just seems like the biggest whore of all yeah, time. He, he was, he was, um, it, it's tough for me because I've always, I, I think he was a, because <laughs> I look, you're like, I looked up to him. No, I, hey, no, he was I, a whore. No, I he think was he whore. was, a, I think he was, uh, had the, had the makings to be a great leader, uh, but he probably was not a great man outside of the office. No shit. Um, I mean, he, he was definitely a not a good husband. He's a um, whore. All right. Well, let's we we all know about JFK and what he was doing. But but there's plenty of rumor to th- that we can back up that he was pursuing Mary and he had an interest in her. And she didn't. She may not. It's unclear if she was willing 
in the early, you know, right. in the or- early portions of this. But at some point, and this would be in the year of 1961, um, there's plenty of evidence to to support that an affair between Mary and JFK had started sometime in the year of 1961. Now, at this point, obviously, right, JFK mm-hmm. is the president of the United States. Mm-hmm. But and there's speculation on both sides. I mean, because this was what was so difficult to for me is trying to figure out. I mean, it was just kind of like um, his side said, "Oh yeah, we think something was going on," and some people that knew her believe it was going on. I don't know how much evidence there is to prove that. Uh, you know, well, if there there are a few pictures that show them together which doesn't mean yeah, that they were sleeping show, together right it doesn't show them having um, sex it shows them hanging out to me this is just my gut feeling on the situation was this was a lady that was ahead, ahead of her time and this was a lady um that had not, you know all ladies had at that time thoughts of their own but most women weren't capable of speaking them mm-hmm. or or wanting to speak them um, and she was, and yeah. she was this free thinker, uh, artist type thinking outside the box, uh, some kind of revolutionary ideas. And I think that was attractive to him. And I think she was like, eh, you don't get what you want. You know, you might get these other girls, but you don't get me. Yeah. And that, that's my gut feeling is that he was pursuing her and she's going, eh, not so much. And I think you're exactly right. I think that would be the appeal. I mean, not only is she very attractive, but she is she's somebody that is as smart as every man in the room, mm-hmm. you know, or smarter. And and the other thing, too, just like you had said, she was ahead of her time. You know, a lot of times when there's trouble in a marriage back in the 50s and 60s, mm-hmm. the woman the wife would usually wait around and wait for the man to divorce her. That was not the situation in in this case. Everything that I could find sound like she was the one that decided, hey, this is when, you know, we're getting a divorce. This marriage is not working for either of us and we're going to get a divorce. I'm the one calling this to action. And in fact, she had actually taken a trip to Europe. I don't know if it was for several weeks or for a month, but she went off to Europe um, with with the thought that, you know what, my marriage sucks (laughs) <laughs> and so I'm either going to go, I'm either going to go to Europe right. and I'm going to have a good time and I'm going to get away from, sounds, from my husband. Sounds like a good time. And I'm going to come back. And when I come back, I'm going to know whether I want to remain in this marriage or not. It's mm-hmm. that I need some time by myself to figure this thing out. And when she came back, she's decided, you know what? It's not working. We're, we're getting a divorce. Which again, and I don't mean to harp on this po- uh, point too much, but. In 2016, that's not that crazy of a idea. I'm going to go to Europe for a little bit to clear my head, see if I want to stay in this marriage. But in the 50s, that seems like a pretty crazy idea, you know? Yeah, yeah, and it, I mean, it shows her personality, it shows her intelligence, and to me, it you know, it, she did have, she was a woman of means, though. You know, she had, she had um, the ability to do some of these things. I'm, I'm. Right. you know sure that most people whether it be men or women would not have had that opportunity back then or even today um but it does show that she is well, ahead her, of her time and right. again the appeal that that you know cord meyer was a in his own right a powerful man yeah you know he was he's this is not just some you know some low-level dude that that she married mm-hmm. 
you know, he's he's a war hero. He's a celebrated war hero. He's he's a, was an author, uh, and he, he had a high ranking job in the CIA. I know there's some debate about. Yeah, he's the original level. Carl, but um, yeah, yeah, and you would think that you there would be a lot of appeal uh, for women to want to be around this guy too, a war hero, uh, and and in the CIA, tons of power, money, power. And that goes back to why I think that she might not have been friends with Jackie Kennedy. And my whole thought on this is that, you know, time and time again, when I am reviewing Mary's personality, she seems to be someone to me of a person of standards, high standards, mm-hmm. as well as, uh, you know, morals and moral values. You know, we see we see her comforting the person that accidentally killed her, her, her young child. Mm-hmm. Um, and I believe that... She may have just known Jackie Kennedy that 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 she would not have had this affair with JFK had she actually been friends with Jackie. You know, some of the little snippets that you will yeah, read that's about. A, but that's a weird thought, though. Well, she's okay with having an affair, but she's not okay with well the, having the, an affair if she's friends with the with the wife. But the only reason why I bring that up is because when you first glance at this case, if you just bring up a quick little snippet about it, the the first thing they say in <clears throat> in, in every article is sh- her and Jackie were friends. Like they right. they go out of their way to bring that up very early in the story. And what I'm getting at is when you dive into it further and you review it as a whole, it doesn't really appear that she was friends with Jackie Kennedy. It appears like she was friends with John F. Kennedy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, it's weird though to me because it. Well, actually, there's actually proof that she's maybe not friends, but she's trying to influence the women uh, of the of the people of power, the men of power in Washington. She's trying to influence their wives or their women or their mistresses. Uh, she talks, oh, and we'll talk about uh, Timothy Leary um, later, but. So there is some kind of proof of that, but, and maybe I'm dead wrong and maybe there's like some solid proof, uh, of this affair between, uh, her and her and John. But to me, it seems like this is a guy that's pursuing her and she's saying no, no, Mm -hmm. constantly. No. Uh, And again, I could be dead wrong on that. Well, but here's okay. So there, what is the proof of the affair? Because, you know, I don't, I don't want to go into this case wondering if that is you know is that the major topic of discussion no that's that's not no, the no. major topic of discussion is her murder and and why that took place yeah and who did it yeah but yeah because yeah, at the end of the day we have this beautiful lady intelligent lady ahead of her time connected to people of power connected to the president she's connected to uh, drug experimentation she's connected to the cia and this lady goes for a walk and she ends up dead. Mm-hmm. And we'll get to that, obviously. Yeah. But, the, but but it's unsolved to this day. Right. And I think this is where we address the uh, the affair. You know, we, we talked about the back and forth of it. However, you know, what is some evidence of this? Is this just is this just her saying that she slept with the president? No, it's it's, you know, through through decades of since the assassination there's been many authors come out with books talking about this affair. And right. the first time that we see this kind of come and presented to the masses is in 1976. Now, this was a National Enquirer article, right? And now everybody's going, oh, my God, Nick just said that 
This is true because the National <laughs> Enquirer reported wow. it on it. However, nobody likes you, anyways, right? Right, but we got to keep in mind that the uh, the article. This is where this is how this thing gets out to the masses. Okay, um, the Myers, Cord and Mary Meyer, yeah. were both friends with James Truett and Ann Truett. Now, who are they? Well, James Truett was a uh, well known. Uh, writer for the Washington Post. Yeah. And and like we said, Cord Meyer wrote some articles before. And I believe that James Truett either penned the article that would later be in the National Enquirer or he, he was the subject of the article. Right. Um, now, or maybe the source. Yeah. And Truett, what had happened after um, the death of JFK, Truett on occasion had gotten drunk in public and he okay and he he would kind of spout off at the mouth about this affair that had been going on between jfk and uh mary pincho meyer right and so the other thing here is that that's not just the only evidence you know because that's pretty much hearsay but there's a lot of hearsay and what that is is we see many people in her social circles that say that this affair took place Mm-hmm. And we even see people in JFK social circles that say that this affair took place. There are references uh, to Jack having said things to to other men of power in the White House, you know, about how fond he was of Mary and how Mary might be a person that would be hard to live with because she was so forward thinking. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and there's also. Uh, could you imagine the fear of the 1950s male? You know, can't can't have a woman with an opinion. You know how can't hard that would be. Oh, you know how hard that would be to live with. <laughs> I mean, come on. Well, and the other thing is there there is evidence once JFK was in the White House. Why? Because we have the Secret Service involved, who has to monitor the president and his uh-huh. movements and and his visitors. And what we see time and time again in the beginning. Uh, there was there was a visitor that was always labeled as, you know, this would be for dinner parties or for visits to the White House to see the president, sometimes in closed doors. And this would be David Powers plus one. Well, Mary Pincho Meyer was the plus one. Right. Um, and the, the, the thing they did there was it was trying to give the illusion to whoever may be monitoring the situation that David Powers was the actual visitor and his plus one was his date. Right. Um, where actually what we would see later, and this is all recorded by the Secret Service, that eventually the plus one didn't drop off from David Powers' visits. Eventually David Powers dropped off from the plus one's visits. And we mm. would just start seeing Mary Meyer or Mary Pinchot at this time now visiting the president on her own. What do you think David felt when they're like, hey, you don't need to show up anymore? Or, or was he the guy that said, you know what? I'm not, I'm, I can't keep driving her around for your booty calls. And I'm just sitting outside here, the door, outside the door, looking at my watch. He's probably just yelling and he's screaming at the White House, JFK, you dirty whore. Well, and I think, I whore. think in the beginning, a lot of these visits were for dinner parties or for dinners, yeah. um, where you would typically have a plus one. Um, but, you know, we see over a dozen visits uh, in the short time that JFK was in the White House where Mary Pinchot was a visitor to see JFK. Yeah. So to further the speculation, and actually more importantly, to further the weight uh, to to provide 
uh, validation to the this affair rumor. Um, yeah, between Mary Meyer and JFK. Even even earlier this year, we saw better proof of that. Right, there was a uh, an unsent letter that was discovered. Yeah, and so in th- June of this year, uh, it was auctioned off for just under eighty nine thousand dollars. That's a lot of rolling papers. That is that is a lot of cheddar for an unsent letter. Yeah, and so this, how does this come about? This was this was uh, stored by JFK's secretary in mm-hmm. a in a safe somewhere, um, and it was never sent to Mary Pinchot, but uh, it yes. was thought to be written for her. Yeah, so the idea was roughly about a month before. JFK's assassination in 1963, uh, he wrote this letter. Uh, it was on um, President Letterhead or White House Letterhead. Uh, that letter, that the letterhead was actually cut off. They believe that, like, um, you know, if he'd sent a private message and he didn't want like some backtrack, right? You know, we can't backtrack it to him. Now, a lot of people then speculate. Well, okay, one, why wasn't it sent? it was never sent. Um, and was it actually from uh, John F. Kennedy? They did a wa- watermark test based on his pin. Uh, I think they had the like old school like dipping pins or the fountain pins. Or, and so they could tell that it was his watermark, which was interesting. So let's just dive into this letter a little bit. Okay, so this is what it reads. So it's a four-page note, basically. Yeah, yeah. It's not, and- not super long. And some have deemed this as a almost begging letter to mistress, right? So why don't you read read what uh, yeah, well, what is believed yeah. that JFK wrote? And if you look this up on the internet, I'll try to post pictures on Instagram about this, and, and you can find those on the website as well. Uh, just so you can see it, it it's, I could not, like, I had to look up a transcription of this because it was so hard to read. I mean, not only was he a dirty whore, but, I mean, he couldn't, his penmanship was awful um okay so it says uh why don't you leave suburbia for once come and see me maybe i should read it like this (laughs) be like barry white uh okay why don't uh why don't you leave suburbia for once come and see me either here or at the cape uh next week or in boston the 19th i know it is unwise rational and that you may hate it. On the other hand, you may not, and I will love it. You say it is good for me not to get what I want. After all these years, you should give me a more loving answer than that. Why don't you just say yes? Now, some people say it's a love letter. And he just, he just signed it J, J. With the letter J. Yo, J. Well, and it could be a love letter. I mean, there. The, not only the thought was that there was this affair between the two of them. Sounds like a very insensitive love letter if it's a love letter. It was not like, you know, you smell so good. I love your hair. Yeah, but you know, I don't. I like to cuddle with you. But again, let's think of Mary's personality. I like to be Big Spoon if do, you'd be Little Spoon. Do you think Mary would even bother with a, with a person that would write things like that? I think that she. I don't know. I think you have a better chance than writing that dog shit. Well, he's just asking her to come and visit him. No, basically what he's saying is like, look, I know you might not like it. I know it's unwise and irrational, 
it's a booty letter. That's all it is. Come see me. Here's an option. Here's an option. I'm not going to put that much time and effort. I am going to put two paragraphs on four pages. What do you think that is? If, if you, have, you have two paragraphs and you put it on four pages. It's because you had nothing to say. And so you wanted to put four. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like I have nothing to say to you. So to make it seem like it's more important, I put it on more pages. I write bigger. Or do you think it was maybe it was just going to be a one note? No, I think he was and... drunk. I think he was <laughs> drunk and thinking, man, that that Mary Meyer, she is she is so sexy with her thoughts and opinions. But again, regardless of your opinion of it being a booty letter or whatever, it it there is thought there that with this affair, that this was not just an affair for JFK. You know, we knew he had many. Trist and many things outside of the uh, many indiscretions outside of his marriage. And but the thought was by his friends, by the people that knew him best, um, that that this was somebody that he actually had a an emotional relationship with. Well, and, and look, that might be the case. I'm just saying that that letter has no proof of that. There's not like I love you. It doesn't. There's no nothing complimentary in the letter. Right. I mean, nothing at all. There's not one thing that's complimentary. I can agree with that. But again, I think, I think there are some things to point out that he may have been, he may have been in love with her in some fashion, Mm -hmm. Uh, more so than, you know, where these, some of these other affairs were just. Yeah. But that's what I'm saying. That's, that's what I'm saying. So frustrating about history in general or cases in general is when they go, well, he, he loved her. Okay, well, where's the proof? Well, we got this love letter. And then you read the love letter, and it's not a love letter. That's that's my problem with it. Well, where's the proof? Oh, well, his friend said so, and then we got this love letter. It's not a love letter. It's a, like I said, there is nothing remotely complimentary there at all. I agree. But what I'm saying is that the, the, the level of their relationship is important to Mary's story, to, to her murder. Because the the thought is that if there if her murder was some kind of conspiracy, right, that she would have had to just been something more than a fling. That that she would have for for an organization or a group of people to conspire to murder her and cover it up. It's because she had to have known something that that others mm-hmm. didn't. And you talked about how how big of a of a whore JFK was. Let's say right, right. whore. So. It, so then there should be women dropping dead all over the United States if if there if there's not something more right to but this. I think that's I, I think that kind of talk and that kind of speculation is very dismissive to who Mary Meyer was it's dismissive to say well if there is a conspiracy if there's something more to her murder that she had to be in love with JFK or JFK had to be in love with her and it couldn't just been a fling or something that happened when she was drunk and that maybe she didn't want when she was sober Look, so I think that minimizes her. Here, here, here's what it was. She is married to a CIA, right? High, high official in CIA, Project Marking, uh, Mockingbird, lives next to JFK. Is And then, and we're not even talking about the Timothy Leary stuff. I think she knew a bunch of people in the inner circle 
Oh, without a doubt. And she was yeah. a woman of power. So th- that's all the, the conspiracy theory you need to know. So the the fact if if JFK was in love with her does not define her story. You know, you know, see what I'm saying? No, but it adds chapters to her story. No, I, I and, yeah, yeah, I get that. But the thing, I but what I'm saying is if that we just assume, like all I'm saying is oh, maybe they had an affair. Who cares if they're in love? It doesn't matter. You know the fact the facts are that this person Mary Meyer knew a bunch of people of power. She was trying to influence other people with her ideas. This president is assassinated. Tons of conspiracy there. A year later, right? About a year later, mm-hmm. the Warren Commission comes out, has their findings, and a couple of weeks later, this lady is murdered. Mm-hmm. All I'm saying is that minimizes her as a person. If it's like, oh, well, we, we have to we have to prove that he loved her or something to make her story valuable. No, but we, we don't have to prove that he loved her. What we, what we have to prove is that whether or not her murder was just a, just a random act of violence that we see every day in the newspapers, or if it was a something organized and put together by a, a group of people. And if it were to be that the second that, she would have had to have known something, known somebody, or said something that would would have that cause and effect. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you're right though you you did you did lead on to something there that I like. Maybe maybe her death wasn't an attempt to cover up something she knew from JFK. Maybe it was an attempt to cover up something she knew about the CIA from things that she knew from being married to somebody in the CIA. Right. But we sh- we should get into um the day of her death. Now this is um October 12, 1964. Now at the time Mary had she had moved on. She wasn't living in the home that that was you know formerly next to the Kennedys old home. Um and she was working as an artist and she had a studio and she would typically go in and do her work, do her studio work and she would leave around lunchtime around noon every day and she would take a take a somewhat lengthy walk and this was you know if the weather was good she did this every day yeah she's primarily a painter Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so she goes out for her walk and this is on near the uh, chesapeake and ohio canal um and there's a towpath down there and she would go down there for her walk and And she's still in washington dc and around um noontime this is around noontime, but to tell the story of pro- properly, we have to introduce a new character. Mm-hmm. Now, this is Henry Wiggins. Henry Wiggins is a tow truck driver, and Henry Wiggins has an assistant. His name is Bill Branch, and the two of them are called to the 4300 block of Canal Road, and they are going there to fix a stalled vehicle. This is a Nash Rambler. They arrive approximately at 12.20 p.m. Again, this is Monday, October 12, 1964. Now, less than one minute after they arrive, Henry Wiggins, he hears the screams of a woman. And he hears these for approximately, he says, 20 seconds. Now, is it just... Are they screams saying anything, or is it just, you know... Yeah, I, he, he says that he had heard... Uh, you know, someone help me, please help me, something of that nature. Right. 
And so he decides to run towards the danger, right? Uh, he, he hears these screams for about 20 seconds, which is followed by a gunshot. Okay. Now, approximately 10 to 20 seconds later, this is while Henry Wiggins is running toward Canal. He's crossing Canal Road, and he's running toward um, where he's hearing these screams in the gunshot. So 10 or 20 seconds after the first gunshot, he hears a second gunshot. At this point, Wiggins approaches what, what has been referred to as the lower wall. And he gets up on this wall and he peers over. And what he says he sees is he sees an African-American man standing over what appears to be the dead body of a woman. Uh-huh. And he identifies um, the, you know, the clothing that he sees this African-American man wearing. He says that he sees the man wearing a dark, um, I want to say ball cap, but it's wearing a dark hat with a light colored beige um, long sleeve jacket and dark pants and dark shoes. Mm-hmm. Um, well, this is 64 too, so ball caps would be less likely. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I just always call them ball caps. Right. Um, but uh, this is a you know hat with a, with a bill. <laughs> good job good job thanks and uh he says that he sees this man standing over the dead body of a woman now he says that the man doesn't seem to be like you know he he doesn't seem to be doing anything other than standing there the man's arms are down to his sides right and, and no gun in the hand or anything he says that he saw something dark in the man's hand right but and the man turns and looks at him now at this point henry wiggins is a little more than a hundred feet away from, from the man and from the body. Okay. And he sees Henry Wiggins and he doesn't like take off in a sprint. He just kind of briskly walks away. Um, and at this point, Henry Wiggins, he, he gets down because he's, he's worried now that the man has seen him and he may come after him. Um, so it's, it's phoned in that, uh, that there has been an attack. Mm-hmm. And very quickly, within minutes, the the police department arrive on the scene and they are quick to close off the the exits and entrances to this towpath. You would have to take, uh, you know, sets of stairs to get down there. And they they block off all of these entrances and exits. And during the course of this time, they have sent out the description of the man that they are looking for. They're looking for an African-American man wearing a dark, dark hat, dark trousers, mm-hmm. and, a, and a light-colored jacket. So this is within just about 10 minutes or to 15 minutes of, the, of when the gunshots are originally heard. Now, the police are searching the area, and they've, they've supposedly got it all blocked off, right? And so if the killer is still in the area, he's got no room to escape he he's he's trapped and they're going to find him they're going to find him if he's still there yeah yeah well they they locate a man Mm -hmm. uh approximately a little after one o'clock this is might even be closer to 115 they locate a man who is matching the description somewhat of the man that they are looking for the man that they see is a african-american man he has uh similar clothes that was described in the call. Now the man approaches the police officer. The crazy thing here is though, this man is soaking wet. 
I guess it's not that crazy because they are near the water, right? Mm-hmm. But I mean, he's he's soaking wet to the point of when the the officer asked the man to identify himself, he says that I am Ray Crump, and not only that, he pulls out his wallet to produce his identification, and when he does that, the the officer sees water noticeably dripping from the man's wallet. I mean, he was he was soaked. Yeah. And why is he soaked? Uh, well, that's that's what the police want to know. The other thing here, too, is the officer notices that the man's zipper on his pants is down or his fly is open. Mm. Um, now, here's the thing. They ask him where he is, you know, where he was and what he's been doing um, for the past hour. And he he says that I that he was fishing. Yeah. And he had he was falling asleep on one of the rocks and because he was down there drinking and fishing. And at some point he had fallen asleep and fallen into the water. And now the officer asked him, you know, where, (laughs) where is your fishing gear? You know, where's your rod and reel and your tackle box? And he says, well, I don't have any of that because all of that fell into the water as well. And I was not able to, to retrieve that. And the the main, look, you could go fishing with just a pole. So the the main thing is my pole is in the water, right? And the officer does, he asked the uh, man to take him to where he was fishing so that he could help him retrieve the fishing rod. They go down to the rock and, and Ray Crump says, you know, this is where I was. And, um, you know, this is where I'd fallen in. And they look and they don't see any obvious signs of a fishing rod. Um, the man is arrested. Yeah. Well, I think the, I think the cop was going, hey, show me this spot. Show me where you fell in the water because that's pretty odd. And keep in mind, he's being arrested because, you know, one, his story isn't matching. Uh, it, it, it isn't adding up to the officer, first of all. And second of all, he matches the description of the man that they were looking for. Now, at this point, though, he well, is yeah. minus he is minus a coat. He is mo- minus the jacket and minus a hat. Um, so they arrest this Mr. Crump, and the the thing here, though, is this is where we immediately start to see some discrepancies in the description of the man that they went looking for, right. and the man that they have in custody. Well, and the man they're looking for, we don't know if that is the killer. We just we're looking for the guy that the, the tow truck the tow truck driver um, saw standing over Mary's body. Yes, and a, and a more complete description of the man that that uh, Henry Wiggins had seen standing over the dead woman's body is he had seen an African American man. Uh, between the height of five foot eight and five foot ten inches tall, approximately 185 pounds, wearing a dark plaid cap, light beige jacket, dark trousers, and dark shoes. Now, Ray Crump, according to his driver's license or to his identification, is five foot three and a half inches, Jeez. and he weighs 130 pounds, soaking wet. Five foot three. Five foot three and a half inches. That's a tiny man. Mm-hmm. Um, when he is arrested, they do note that he uh, they list him at five foot five and a half inches. Apparently, he was wearing um, shoes that he was wearing lifts, basically. Like so, right. he he would appear to be of a more 
uh, normal height, let's say. Um, and he, he may have been closer to 140 pounds at that time. So police believe that they have their man, right? And the coroner report is going to note that the, the dead body, the dead woman that was found near the towpath mm-hmm. was that of Mary Pincho. And she had been shot twice. She'd been shot once in the head and once in the back. Now, the thing about the, the shot that went in her back was that it was angled at a way that it pretty much severed her uh, aorta. And she was she had been killed practically instantly. You know, mm-hmm. so she's not, you know, you heard the screams. She's attacked. She's shot. According to Henry Wiggins, she shot within 10 seconds or 20 seconds of, of each shot. And, you know, she's not able to provide the police with anything once they arrive because she's already passed. After arresting Mr. Crump, the, the police continue to search the area. Um, they are now looking for his dark cap and his jacket. Uh, they are able to locate items that match the, these descriptions. Um, however, what they're not able to find is a gun. Right. Uh, and they never would recover a gun. They would spend lots of time and lots of effort down there looking for the murder weapon. This is never retrieved. Yeah. The, where do they find these, you know, where do they find the cap and the jacket? Do they say where? Yeah. Um, I believe one of the items, I believe it was the jacket they were looking for in the water. Right. Um, and, uh, Crump had said that he had lost it in the water or assumed that it had gone into the water and that was located in the water. Um, now the cap I believe was found on, on the ground and it was found, um, not near the actual murder scene. Uh, but it was found, uh, closer to where he had said that he, he was fishing. Right. Now they did, they did a hair sample to determine that this was in fact his cap. So he was wearing a hat that day. Um, and this jacket was most likely his, um, the, the thing here is though, there's no gun found, right? And one thing that the police did not do is they did not conduct any tests to determine if Crump had fired a, a gun that day. Um, the reason being is they are saying that that was not necessary because when they found him, he's soaking wet. Um, and this, this would make the, the test appear to be negative regardless of the actual truth. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh. There's, they should have done the test. You're exactly right because, because because they even found that if you uh you know even if you shower even if you you know use soap and all that stuff that it, normally this test still is positive if you shot a gun that day. And you're exactly right, and that's why they should have conducted the test because you know the masses know generally now more about how these procedures work and, and the things mm-hmm. that you should do when the, when a crime is committed and when you're investigating it. I think back then it might've been a little easier to kind of just tell, well, we didn't do this because of this. And the, the general public may not know any better to question it again. Uh, but you're exactly right. There've been plenty of people that have suggested and, and said that, you know, we've found that even after someone has fired a gun, they could wash their hands a dozen times yeah. and we're still able to detect the firing of a weapon about 24 hours after the crime was committed. And after the arrest of Ray Crump jr, a man 
identifying himself as Army Lieutenant William Mitchell goes to the police. This is October 13, 1964. He goes to the police and he says that he was running. He was a jogger and he would normally take a run and he had run past Mary Meyer uh, on the CNO canal path, towpath in Georgetown. Right. This is just a short time before her murder. Uh, he claims that he had seen an African-American man matching the description of Ray Crump Jr. who had already been arrested the day before. Uh, that this man was following Mary. Um, this this would add to um, the the police already, you know, this would bolster their speculation that Ray Crump Jr. was, in fact, guilty of, of the death of Mary Pinchot Meyer. Right. What do we have here, Captain? We have, we have a, a woman mm-hmm. age 43, two days before her birthday, on October 12, 1964. beautiful lady. That's right. Respected woman. Mother. She, artist. She goes out, takes a break from work, as she normally would do every day of the week, and go for a long walk, maybe to catch some fresh air or some inspiration for her art. Mm-hmm. And during that, that walk, she is attacked. She's shot twice. Uh, according to the coroner report, she's drugged about 25 feet. Well, she um, dies in, dies instantly. And dies instantly. Um, shot in the head, shot in the back, dies instantly. And the police block off the area after receiving the call from uh, the tow truck driver. And now they are pursuing an African-American man. They locate this man named Ray Crump Jr. Who is... <laughs> he's he's he wet, lo- right? He's, he's wet. Soggy dog. His fly's undone. His, his story does not match up. He's saying that he got drunk while he was fishing alone, fell asleep on the rocks, and right. fell into the water. Um, now we have him in custody, and we have um, a man that comes forward saying that he saw Crump, or a man matching Crump's dis- uh, description, following Mary Meyer. Just shortly before her death. Now this is a murder case that would go on to be covered by many different people, Uh time and time again uh, for decades and well, it, her connection with the president, but also with her connection with the higher ups in Washington. And not, not only that, her strange murder and the, you know, oh. if, if that's where, if that's where this story left off, then, or I mean, if that's where this story ended right here, this story wouldn't have been uh, covered by so many different people for years. There's a lot more to this, and what's going to come out in the trial is very interesting. You're going, you're going to hear reasons why the prosecution say that Ray Crump Jr. is guilty, and there are some curious reasons why he might just be innocent of this crime. All right, we'll cover that in part two. Do we have a recommended reading? We do have a recommended reading. Let me dig through my notes here. This week's recommended reading, we have Mary's Mosaic. Uh, this is the CIA's conspiracy to murder John F. Kennedy, Mary Pinchot Meyer, and their vision for world peace. This is by Peter Janney. Uh, and this was originally published in 2012, so it's pretty fresh stuff. Uh, but there has been a more updated version, which does include new evidence and never-before-seen government documents to further corroborate this the conspiracy to assassinate JFK and Mary Pinchot Meyer. And Peter Janney actually knew uh, Mary Meyer. Uh, right. she, he was friends with um, with her son that was killed in the car accident. Um, so 
very interesting Ch- yeah, reading. Child, childhood friend of uh, her of, son. Yeah, of Michael Meyer. Yeah. Now, so you can pick that up by going to truecrimegarage.com, click on the recommended page, and we have our books there. Just click on the Amazon banner and pick up uh, any of our recommended reading or any of your holiday shopping as well. Kick it up to the garage. Yeah, I mean, you can. It gives a little kickback. I mean, if you need some uh, new stockings for, uh, you know, for Christmas, not for know. your legs, for to hang hey, over, to, ladies, to, to ladies, hang in the family you, room. Ladies, if you need, there's nothing better, you know, than. Uh, never mind. I'm not going to go into that. Okay, so anything on Amazon, buy it. Click through our banner. They give us a little love, and uh, we appreciate it. And a big happy Thanksgiving to everybody out there, Captain. You looking forward to Thanksgiving? You Earlier you said it's just another Thursday. It's just another Thursday. Well, I'm looking forward to it. I'm hoping for turkey as well as a honey-baked ham uh, and plenty of beer to go with it. Maybe a Dallas Cowboys victory, Ezekiel Elliott, like 300 touchdowns, if that's even possible. Uh, but big happy Thanksgiving to everybody out there. Be safe, be good, be kind, and don't let it. Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs, containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes.